the indie author revolution has been around for more than a decade, but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of, from getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome. We've become a force to reckon with. Now, after years of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place we're sowing the seeds of a better way. A way with more ease, abundance, and flow. Get ready to learn about indie authorship from a whole new perspective. We're about to cover everything from releasing your poverty mentality to manifesting your millionaire author destiny. I'm Carissa Andrews, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Well, hi there. Welcome back to another episode of the Author Revolution Podcast. This week, I'm really excited to share an interview I had with Holly Darling. Now, I met Holly at InkersCon this year when she was doing a presentation on email marketing, automations, that sort of thing. It was obviously something that's been on my mind this year. And if you were listening to some of the earlier 2023 podcast episodes, you know that I moved over from MailerLite to the new version of MailerLite, like the more advanced version. And when I did that, it broke all of my automations. So in the back of my mind, I knew, okay, I need to recreate or re-envision, reimagine, whatever, what those automations look like. So it became part of my 2023 game plan, something that I knew I would have to do for Carissa Andrews, that particular pen name, because we're not talking about the rom-com right now. Interestingly enough, I still haven't even touched it, even though I had this conversation with Holly quite a while ago. And even though I have a list of things I want to do for it, things have just been so busy since the conferences and then launching courses and trying to write this rom-com. So I've put other priorities above it. But of course, getting this podcast episode ready for you, I have new invigoration (laughs) for the whole thing. Like I've gone through, I've created my list of things. I know exactly what I'm going to start with and how I'm going to do it. Holly actually talks really well about creating like a a release month automation and what she does for that in this podcast episode. And so as I'm getting ready and preparing for the release month for Carissa Knight, I'm like, okay, I need to start getting my, my butt in gear here because technically I'm kind of past what she recommends, right? Or what she actually does for herself. So I'm thinking about and re-envisioning things and how they're going to operate for Carissa Knight, as well as people who are coming into my list for any of the books that I have, you know, for Carissa Andrews. And as I'm doing that, I'm creating my like visual map. It's been a lot of fun just to play around with it. And of course, having ChatGPT on my side now, and the way that I understand it even further you know, before when I was talking with Holly, we really didn't even touch on AI at that particular moment in time. I was just kind of dabbling with it, just playing around with it. It didn't, it wasn't at that point as much of a fun co creator or critique partner or whatever, assistant, I guess, as it is now. And so what I'm looking at and what I'm envisioning and how I can see things working, you know, I, I definitely am looking at it from the perspective of utilizing ChatGPT to help me create it. But it's fun for myself to understand the concepts, the process, so that I can give the best prompts I can to chat as well when it comes to saying, hey, what kind of flow would you recommend? What kind of things could I put into this particular email? You know, all those things, right? So I hope you're going to, you know, perk up your ears, really listen to this because Holly talks really 
effectively about how important email marketing is and how having a really engaged email list can earn you more money. It can get your brand up into higher levels. It can do an awful lot of things. And one of the the areas that I have known for such a long time that I need to get better at is my email marketing. Now, I even started, I was a late bloomer when it came to newsletters and getting my email list up and running. I think I had Pandamas already out. Maybe I was working towards getting the next two books done. So it probably was like end of 2016, beginning of 2017, even before I really got serious (laughs) about my newsletters. Weird and funnily enough. So when I look back at that and I think about how, you know, since that point, I have been very consistent. I've put out an email newsletter every single week for Carissa Andrews. Same thing with Carissa Knight since I started that newsletter. And it's just kind of neat to see how things have evolved and how engaged, you know, the readers are already for both names. And I haven't even launched book one in the One Night Stand Club yet, but yet I have over a thousand newsletter subscribers. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how when you deploy the tools that Holly's going to be talking about, you can very quickly scale up that, you know, audience and start, you know, talking to people who are going to be engaged and excited to play around with your books and in your worlds, right? So I hope you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I had some more advanced questions as well as questions from you, the audience for Holly. So we have things covered from like beginner all the way through to advance. So stay tuned, have a listen, and I'm going to hop right into it. Let's go. Well, hi, Holly. I'm so excited for you to join the Author Revolution podcast today. I met you at InkersCon while I was in your audience anyway, and I told my audience a little bit about all the exciting things that I learned from your speech when we were there. But for my audience, maybe who doesn't know as much about you, could you fill them in on who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, Inkerscon was so much fun. Uh, I am Holly Darling. I own a business called Holly Darling HQ. It is an email marketing consultancy just for authors. Uh, I fell in love with email. Uh, like as writers, I always think there's a natural affinity to email. Although in my practice, I've found that a lot of writers don't like writing emails, which I find hilarious um, so, <laughs> for various reasons that are very overcomable. Um, anyway, so I just wrote a lot of emails um, all the time and was most comfortable there uh, as far as the marketing efforts went in the organic space and found I was getting a lot of questions, you know, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? Uh, and I'm like offering these answers up and then I decided maybe I'll just create a business out of this. So that was Three years ago, yeah. So three years ago, I officially started the business and uh, haven't looked back since. I love writing emails. I love talking about emails, and that's me. That is so cool that it just transitioned so organically and naturally. So, from an author perspective, what, how, like, what is your author life like then before you started yeah, so this? I write um, contemporary romance under the name Holly Mortimer. And I have 11 books published and then a pile of books not, not published. Not most, as <laughs> we all have those. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've been writing uh, in that space since 2016. So yeah. yeah. Oh. Seven years. Yeah. Do the math. Yeah. I love, I love that. I've taken a bit of a break from, from that to uh, take care of a family member, but I'm back and it's exciting. And I think that being an independent author, um, so I'm fully hundred percent self-published is 
I love talking business and running businesses and how to run a business. And um, in another life that I have, I work for the government as a startup business consultant. So teaching startups how to kind of plan a business and build a business and grow and scale. And so it lives right in my wheelhouse. I love talking about that. So there's a natural kind of interest in how do I use email as part of a business plan as the main driver, I think personally, in my opinion, email can be such a huge, should be such a huge piece to the growth of your business on the brand loyalty side. And and definitely it can become something, a huge driver to revenue, but there's so much control that you have over email. So this progression of me from a writer and business consultant to email marketing consultant, where I kind of integrate business best practices with email um, and talk to writers and only writers about about this makes most of my days super fun. And that was a really long-winded way for me to tell you how I got to where I am. (laughs) No, it was great. I love that that it all just kind of merged together. My transition into helping authors too was very organic where it was like, literally I got asked to join, like I was just writing, I was doing this thing. And my my local community was noticing that I was getting more success being an indie publisher and indie published author. And so they were like, how are you doing this thing? They wanted me to teach at the local library. And so that's what I did. I taught like a six course or six, yeah, six course, I guess, six lesson at the library. But there were people who missed some of the classes because it was right over winter. And if you've ever been to Minnesota in the winter, that's good luck. You know, sometimes you just can't make it. And so I was trying to figure out how to get everything like in a place where people could still access the information. That's where it all started. It was literally just to help my local community. I had no desire whatsoever to run a business on on this at all. And now here I am. It's just, it's interesting to me how those evolve, like how that that whole whole thing kind of transitions sometimes because it, you, you sometimes you're not even looking for it. It just happens. Those are the best business stories. I, you right? Can, you can see an opportunity, like you can marry something that you really love to do, but there's an opportunity and you're able to use your business, like your entrepreneur brain to like find, like, seize that opportunity and say, let's see what happens. You know, you don't know, but, um, and those slow organic growth in business, regardless of the style, I think have really great foundations and success. Like they've just got this solid layer of I'm moving forward as, as on an as needed basis. So you're answering the call to action that people are asking for and there's less risk and it's really interesting to you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Right. It's so interesting to see, like everybody thinks that they want that like super huge exponential growth, whether it be in their books or, you know, in their businesses, obviously, whatever it is. But like you said, it, you kind of then lack that solid foundation sometimes. And so it's great to be able to build that whole thing out. And I think that's where email marketing definitely comes in because as you, you know, build your backlist, as you build your um, brand as an author, having that, you know, in the back part of your platform to help bring readers into your world and to warm them up to everything that you do. It's so important. So going back to that, I, I better make sure that I like ask, look at my questions here. Um, there are definitely authors who are coming at email marketing for the first time, like they don't know what they're doing. And so for those authors who are listening, where should they start if they've never kind of like dabbled their toes in it at all? Yeah. Some really common starting roadblocks that we get uh, with new brand new authors or authors who are considering using email to market as you know, I'm just going to wait until I have a bunch of books out. And my advice there is to don't just wait, you know, start <laughs> a new time when you have, um, when you're in the, the planning process or you have one or two books in your backlist to test out all the, the things that could work for 
for your email strategy. So starting is is a combination of a very technical business phase, like research the email service providers that are out there who ask people instead of just kind of being sold on their landing page, find an author community. There are lots online and or or somebody you know personally, do you email market and what service to use? And then usually you'll get an earful. Like I know I'm the same. I'm like, wow. I, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and here's what I like and here's what I don't like. And then make an informed decision. Um, if if you're unsure, there are lots of internet resources as well. And so you've got to choose the service provider that you have, but no, you're not locked in there forever. And there are definitely ways to move around, but it's a big choice. Find something that works in your budget and that that is easy to use and works for you. Uh, and then just start. Like that's always my biggest piece of advice is don't hold back because you think that I don't have anything to talk about or I don't have any books out or I don't have enough books out. That's never true. Again, going back to thinking that email is like a marathon marketing piece. It's not, it's not something like social media where you see virality around content that you do. If you're thinking long-term strategy, email is a great piece that to slot in there and building that brand loyalty. There will be no more loyal readers than those that first join your list that are not friends and family, but you got to start with friends and family. Everyone does. Um, you, know, <laughs> you can test lots of things out. You know, it's like, did that work even on a small scale? If you have 10 people on there and nobody's responding, you're getting some messages back, like either something technical is wrong or what I'm writing about isn't, isn't resonating. And then you might get like 15 people. So then you start, you just start slowly growing. And um, it just gives you an opportunity to test with a market that, you know, there aren't a lot of devastating results, you know, should you misstep. So my biggest piece of advice is to choose a great email service provider that works for you and start writing emails and figuring out what works. Awesome. So, okay. For those authors, cause I hear that one a lot too, that they don't know what to write about. Like no one wants to listen to me. What do you do to like get them over that hump where they, it's like, <laughs> just write something. Yeah. A couple of things that I always, uh, always advise people to do is turn off your unsubscribe notifications. So at the beginning actually, and even now many years in unsubscribes are like, Oh, you're wounding me. Right. You know, unsubscribes are, um, can potentially mentally get into your game, you know, and make you feel like what, what I'm about to do or what I'm doing is not working. Um, so make sure like, I know MailChimp automatically has an unsubscribe notification on, make sure you go in and turn it off. Uh, so you don't know, and you will only know if you go digging for it. And I advise you not to. So, um, <laughs> do that. People signed up for your list because they wanted to. Nobody nobody is joining people's lists because somebody is forcing them to. They joined it because they wanted to know more about you. Maybe they wanted to get um, a book or a lead magnet from you, but you may not even be at that point. They just joined because they want to either support you or no, or be on your list. So they've asked to hear from you. Do not, not send them anything. You know, Then they will forget about you. And so then... Like, what do you send? I use a very, for me, and I think it's a very simple process. I find I work better inside a framework. So if somebody, if a, if I had a boss that said to me, write emails about this, 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 I would be extremely excited. So instead of <laughs> meeting boss, I set up a spreadsheet that's the boss. So I only, I only live within four quadrants. So if you get to the point where you can write an email a week, it fits perfectly. So I write an email. I know each month I'm going to write an email about a work in progress, a day in the life. So what am I up to? 
uh, a character and a location. So for me, location is very much part of my brand. I have a tourist location in each kind of series or setting that I write with. Um, it doesn't have to be those for you, uh, but it helps me. I'm like, okay, when I'm planning, I'm like, all right, have I written an email about me this month? Have I, have I written an email about my work in progress? Now, I just came off of a year of not having a work in progress. And I still like said, I'm thinking about writing this. What do you think about, you know, I brought them along on this very tumultuous journey of me going from burnout to break, you know, and what that looked like. So it was very similar to someone who has nothing else out there. You feel like, well, I don't have a work in progress. Okay, well, substitute work in progress with something else. But you are interesting is the one thing I would like most authors to know. And you're a natural storyteller. So storytell. And when you're at an absolute loss for things to write, my very favorite trick is to take a character and make them write the email. So I'll be like, I have a, a hero who is like the grumpy alpha and he's my favorite one to pull in on those days when I'm like, cause he's like, I, I hate everybody except for this one woman who I love dearly, you know, whatever. And I'm like, it's Christmas. He's mad about Christmas. You know, it's, <laughs> it's whatever. He's mad about it. And it's from his point of view. So it does two things. One, it takes, as authors, we're really great at writing from other people's point of view, not so much about ourselves, right? So it takes the pressure off us feeling like we need to be amazing, which we don't. I mean, there are many days I've written about my broken down toilet and uh, my cat or whatever, like, and it works better than if I'm trying to come up with something super exciting. Uh, right. It'll come from his point of view and uh, it's fun and interesting and it revisits the character. And for me, I make it do double duty. So I'll pull these in as frequently as I can where it makes sense. And then uh, when I've written like three or four of them, so this takes six months, this isn't something that happens overnight. I'll bundle them together and I've got some bonus content, you know, so oh, people that are, yeah, of, yeah. are like, you want to hear more about Christmas from... Brennan's point of view, here you go. Here's a series of emails he wrote last Love December. that. You know, and so it feels, it just feels a little safer, but our readers really enjoy. And then those readers that hadn't re haven't read that character's book, it could, or it could be a side character you're testing out. I've done that before too. I'm like, I'm thinking I might make a book on this person, but I'm not sure. And so I'll throw it in from their point of view. Um, I've done a mayor that his team forced him to become social media savvy and he hated it. And he decided he's going to write some newsletters about the town, the small town. So I did a series of those. Those are great for when you're just out of ideas and I integrate them probably once a month. And then, like I said, I save them and then slap a a Canva cover on them and make them into some sort of bonus. That's so smart. I never thought to do that. Oh my gosh. That's super cool. That is so, yeah. so neat. If you write like cozies and you have like a cat, those are fun ones too. I've had clients that have done that from the cat's point of view or doesn't necessarily be a cat or if you're into thrillers, you know, it's, you know, it's a psychiatrist's point of view. You can just really use your author imagination. And I have some clients that found that they love it so much that this is the bulk of the emails that they do write, you know, that they are very character driven as a little segment inside of like an email that's delivering some other release information or promo information. That's super smart. I've even heard some authors will like for their newsletters or for like any of their outward facing stuff, maybe even if they have a pen name, 
they'll create an actual like author persona for themselves too, to take the pressure off themselves where it's now like I can be this more flamboyant version of myself or this more flamboyant or, you know, grumpy or whatever version of myself, because now that's, it's not actually me, but they think they're getting to know me kind of thing. Have you ever seen that happening too? Yeah. I have a few clients, especially that have a, like what I call deep cover pen name, you know, where they're like, I can't write about myself. I I really don't want anyone to know it's me. And I'm like, well, your pen name probably has some things they could talk about, you know? And they're like, yes. And I have one in particular, like I know she's like a dark romance writer and her pen name has some crazy imaginative ideas. And there's lots of brand specific voice coming into her emails where at the same time, she's not divulging anything personal about her true self, but the brand, the the brand name is very much talking about things they either like to do or things they're planning to do or anything like that. So, absolutely interesting. Pull those, pull those characters in, even if they are, even if you are the character. There was a long time where I had, I was running my business, and before I had an assistant, and I was like, Ugh, and I had to have some hard conversations, and I'm not always great at them. I created an assistant who was, she had a different name and then I, she had her own email address and, you know, like it was coming from me, but it's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You know, whatever. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, sometimes, sometimes we just have to kind of use those author imaginations we're given to kind of create content. A lot of traditional social media people are very different off screen. It's the same kind of thing. Oh, for sure. I totally understand that. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I, I I know I've heard you say that you recommend, you know, if you can get up to emailing people like at least once a week, that's kind of best practices. How do you then come up with subject lines or, you know, ways to entice people to open your newsletter every single week when that's the case? Or do you have any just best practices in general around subject lines? Yeah, sure. The cool thing that happens about we won't have a conversation about deliverability because I could be here for hours talking about that. So <laughs> uh, we'll just do content creation and how to kind of just make sure that you are visible. Um, the cool thing that happens when you do consistently send, if you're like some people here four times a month and like panic um, and others are like, okay, I can do that. You know, if it's even every other week, every other week is usually like my, my like minimum starting point. Every other week, just consistently get into somebody's inbox so that the subject line starts to n- matter less and the name starts to matter more because you've taught you've taught um your readers are that inside of those e- your emails with your name attached are like things that are very valuable to them they're entertaining all the reasons why they want to open an author's uh, email so starting there thinking like would i open this email if it came into my inbox and if I, it, sorry, if when I open this email, it came into my inbox, would I want to open the next one from them? Or does this feel very cookie cutter boring to me? And I don't like to use the word boring because boring is definitely subjective to whomever's looking at it. But when we get into this rut of cover, blur, button, excerpt, whatever, and we're stop, we're not like remembering the reason why they came there. They came there because they like your books and they're going to go somewhere else to read them, but they really want to know about this this brand they're investing in. So the best way to get emails opened is to consistently deliver emails that are fulfilling the needs of the reader when they open them. 
they absolutely want to know about your next book and or any books that you have on sale, but they also want to know about you or where do those character ideas come from or whatever. I always think about if I ever met like a celebrity or an author that I loved, I would want to ask them a bazillion questions, you know, and don't be, don't think that because you, you may not have a status that high that readers don't want to ask you the same bazillion questions, right? You know, (laughs) subject line, where we want to get to is that subject line is less important than that the appearance in an inbox and the name that's there is attached to value, value value-driven emails. However, uh, ways to come up with subject lines uh, when you're, when you're at the beginning of this journey, you're trying to like kind of come up with them. I start with my inbox with other brands and other people's subject lines. And in my notes section, I just copy and paste them in there for inspiration. So I'll always have something to look at and go, oh yeah, I opened that. Why did I open that? Because of this, this, or this. And if I'm opening things in my inbox, whether they're from a brand that doesn't, like it's not an author brand, just Old Navy or whatever, I want to look, I trained myself to look at what the subject line was. Why did I open that? You know, what was interesting about that to me? Or is it for a reason that is unrelatable to the author space? But I'll I'll save them um, so that I always have something to do to pull from when I'm stuck. But then there are some rules about subject lines that you also just want to avoid. So something in all caps will will harm your subject line. It will usually wind up in your email, no matter how good it is, will wind up in a spam folder. Lots of exclamation marks. Oh, word like yeah, the word free is debatable. I think if you use it sparingly, it's totally fine. If you use it every single email, you're going to start to see all your emails go into the promo or spam folders. But I like to think of subject lines as a conversation between you and friends. A lot of authors get to a point where, again, the subject line doesn't matter. But when you're first starting out, if every subject line you have is new release, this is out today, 99 cents, whatever, and those are kind of recycled over and over again, your reader will scroll on by because they're, it's not, I, like it doesn't stop the eye. But if you did the same thing with maybe one word capitalized in the middle or something like that, you could try it. But then what if you did like, all lowercase, like if I sent an email to a friend and I just wanted to ask them a quick question, I would say, hey, quick question, you know? And so maybe that's your subject line or subject lines that have a hook are really good. You know, like you'll never guess what I just found out or he said, what, you know, use, I'll use all of these all the time. If you're, and then some of them can be um, uh, genre and trope specific. Those are really effective. Like in the romance space, if you're like, do you love enemies to lovers? open this up, you know, at, or force proximity or jam, open this up, you know, and, uh, or in a thriller, it's like, she's been missing for 10 years. He knows where to find her, you know, or whatever. Like it's, if you can tap into the reasons why people, like the catnip that people love about reading your genre and you throw those into a subject line, those work really effectively as well. Even if it's a new release, instead of saying it's live today, like, they're, if they're signing up for a lot of authors in their genre or subgenre, they're probably, chances are probably good that in any given week, they're getting three or four, it's live today, live today. And they're like, yep, scroll. That makes by. sense. But yeah. If you, Matt, if you put that in an email, but your subject line is completely compelling, like he said, what, or like, whatever it's my, it, you know, I don't know. It, it could be a million things. I have so many subject lines floating in my head. But that doesn't really say it's a release day, but inside it's like, there's a little bit of a story tying it into release day and then boom, it's release day, you know, and then you have that singular call to action 
there's just this series of events that you can just tie together in consistent sending, interesting subject line that stops the eye, tied to storytelling inside of your email, tied to some sort of book. They're kind of come together as the perfect storm. I love that. That is really cool. It, what what I found for myself too is that, like you said, those email subject lines don't really matter as much. Like I've played around with, I've been obviously sending emails weekly for gosh, I don't even know how long, probably 10 years at this point. And because um, I didn't start my email list as soon as I should have, that was like my big bad. I was like, ah, I waited until it was like, I had book one done. Like, uh, yeah, I did all the things wrong, but I've been sending weekly since then. And and for me, it's like, I've noticed that it, like, I could just be like, just open this or something and they'll still open it. Like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't yeah. impact really any, anything on my, my back dashboard of, it, of my platform. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're okay. monitoring your open rates and you're not seeing, you're seeing them this day consistently solid or higher and so people are still opening your emails. It's just a great sign that there's when they open it up, they're getting the experience that they want. Right. Right. Do, is there like a percentage that you try to like authors should be trying to aim for when it comes to open rates or click rates or anything like that? There could be, I don't really love talking in, mm. in, in that because it just makes people decide that their emails, their open rate is, is miserable or amazing. Either way, it's a false kind of space open rates are are tricky to kind of use as benchmarks but i always benchmark against my own open rates so sure if i know where i consistently land if i see some fluctuations below or above i can i can adjust if i need to i can use my own kind of open rate as the benchmark and it's still a pretty solid benchmark you know even though they may be inflated slightly it's still a great kind of spot to be. However, if you're seeing consistent open rates that are below 20%, you've got some work to do. But again, the only work you're going to do is measure yourself against the last email that you send. That makes sense. I, I kind of like that too, because so many people, like you said, they get hung up on the numbers and then they think that it doesn't work and then they'll either give up or they'll just kind of start to berate themselves over they're not doing a good enough job. So that yeah. that's smart. I like that mentality of like, your your email is the only one that you really have to compare to. And if you want it to get better, you know, do do some improvements to get it get it there. I like that. Okay, so automations are definitely something that's on my list of things I need to do. Um, <laughs> I was in MailerLite and then I moved to the new MailerLite platform, the, the updated version, whatever. Yep. And when I did that, all of my automations broke, like every single one of them. I'm like, ugh. And I haven't had time to fix them yet. And so for me, automations are very interesting. And I'm like, I want to pick your brain (laughs) because they're so helpful with brand recognition and warming up those cold audiences and getting them into the worlds that you're you're building, especially if they're coming in from a lead magnet or something along those lines. So do you have any best practices that you can share when it comes to creating like a welcome sequence from either like them purchasing a book or from them getting a lead magnet from like BookFunnel or something? Yeah. Plan your welcome sequence before you start to build your welcome sequence. And so I always like to say, like, what's the journey of the reader? I need them to go on when they have signed up for my list. Like, where did they come from is important. And where do I want them to go? Uh, and so that's going to be a different answer for kind of if you want to simplify it into two two different groups. So people that have never read anything of mine before. So they're coming in from like a promo opportunity and they haven't read the book yet. It's like a traditional book funnel kind of group promo or have they read a book and they're coming in from back matter? Uh, those are going to be two different sequences for me. 
Um, but they have a lot of similar elements. So it's not like you're recreating the wheel both times. But I like to map out visually the journey. So if it's somebody coming in from the back matter of a book, I want to know that email number one is going to deliver the back matter. Again, I'm in team. I deliver the back matter. Book funnel can have them when they're, you know, once they've hit email number one for many reasons. The biggest one being I want to, I want that click. <laughs> That's the most clicked on email that you're going to get ever in any email you ever send, probably. If you've given them a carrot and they are going to go in to get the carrot, I would like to be the person that opts them into that carrot and gets that, them click that. Plus it can kind of all slowly introduce them to my brand voice while they're just, you know, instead of them going from a lead magnet, so a lead magnet being bonus content or downloadables or whatever you want to give them into book funnel. And then an email might appear for me in their inbox and they may or may not be motivated to open it. I would really like them to need to go to their inbox to open the email for me, and then they can head off to BookFunnel to download the the um, the bonus content from there. Again, it's all about capturing the data and controlling the message and controlling that conversation. So again, back to planning. So I'm like, okay, I've got this lead magnet. Um, then I want them to go to email number one, and in here I want them to download book, introduce me, you know, and that's about it. Not much is going to happen there. And then I'm like, where do I want them to go? I want them to go to what naturally makes sense for them to read next. So if they're downloading a lead magnet that's bonus content, I need them to go to the next book in the series or back to the top of the series. I use ConvertKit that has some delicious automations that can figure these things out. And not every service can do that. You know, there are a lot of wheels turning, but make it as simple as you can, but draw it out. I I usually always say, if you have a ser- multiple series of books, choose your best-selling series and try to move them into there. Uh, and if you don't have lots of books to offer them, choose something as, as, the, as the next offer that is either a pre-order that makes sense or something. Like, you know, just keep serving them. Don't walk away because you don't think you have what they want. But yeah, if you have the content, the backlist to make it make sense, you can, I always say, choose the series that has great reviews, great sales. You know, you can sell this to them. Anyway, so you're going to go, I like to, um, if you have, again, there are two schools of thought. If you have a series, I like to move them through the entire series. So I want to get them from book one to book six, whatever. Even if you have 12, I have some clients that have 25 books in a series and most of the people are in there just moving through an automation, getting through all the books. But yeah, I map it out so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming when I open up my email service provider and go, oh my gosh, I don't know what to write. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've got a guide. You know, I'm writing email number one is introduction to this. Email number two is perhaps a secondary social media channel. Next book. Email number three is next book, a little more about me. Email number four, you know, however long you want to keep going. If you kind of, it's like a little mini business plan for your, your automation. And you can do that for cold. I do the same thing. So cold subscribers are, they've never heard of you before, but they've joined around Robin or they've joined a book funnel promo or a group of people that have gotten together and they really are getting like 15 emails all at once, which is hopefully not the way the organizer is organizing it, but a lot of that happens. What you need to do is to get them in and interested in your voice or let themselves out either way, you know, quickly. And so to map that out is like email number one is delivery of book introduction to me and make sure my voice is heavily heard. 
you know, so that they can self-select if they want to stay or not, because I would rather they leave if they're not interested instead of them never opening and never clicking and hurting the health right. of my list. Right. Um, and that's the danger of the cold automation. It has to do a lot more heavy lifting than what I call the warm automation where they've already read a book and they're excited and they've read some more and then they want the bonus content, whatever. They're easier. There you can talk to them like they're your old friends. Over here in the cold area, you need to like make sure it's very apparent to them that you write, like for me, I write contemporary romance. I like rom-coms. I swear a lot, you know, um, <laughs> I, I like stories that are male, female driven, like, and all of that is in a short, succinct kind of, you know, I have a picture of myself too. Not everybody can do that, but I'm open to who I am. And this is me. They can make a trust decision. It ultimately, but in, the, in a cold automation, it's about building trust in the email, in the first email, which is a tall order for one short email. And that's why I like to use an image of myself in there too, so they can see, okay, I mean, she looks, okay, she looks all right. People make buying decisions based on people they know, like, and trust. And so if I could speed that process up, and that sounds like a big, tall order to anybody listening right now, like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to do that? It really is simple. How'd they get there? Email number one is super important. How'd they get there? So you remind them, hey, thanks for downloading my book in the book funnel promo or whatever, whatever that happens to be. Who are you? What do you write? Here's a link to get that book. If you decide to go to book funnel first, here's a reminder for that link. Most people continue to click that link, even if they have already downloaded the book and then what to expect. I'm sending five emails over the next 10 days. You know, I don't offer them a, a way out because I don't like, telling people, here's the door. I would like them to decide that for themselves. You know, and there may come a time where I'm like, Hey, unsubscribe or not, but that is well in the future for this person. But, but yeah, that's my first email is really just kind of who, what, where, why, when, how. That makes sense. So if I'm understanding you correctly, so the, like, there isn't like a set number of welcome emails. It's, it kind of depends on how many books you have in a series or books you have that you want to like tie people back to. Is that right? Yeah. Again, like the benchmarking, I don't like to tie into, you must have this many emails for it to work. I'm a big fan of one email is better than no welcome sequence at all. <laughs> um, and if you're like, I don't have time, like just write that first email because the conversion rate in that email is probably 10 times that of any other email you're going to write, which just means when they sign up for your list, especially through a large group of, of authors that have, have gotten together and created promo content, you're going to get lost because other authors are in their inboxes, welcoming them or whatever. So if you can't do anything but one email, one email is incredible. And it can do many, many things for you that having no emails, I mean, it won't go easy for you. And not saying it's impossible, but it will be very hard for you to get back in front of them. So the average though is between three and four emails okay. long. If you have a sizable backlist and you would like to move people into the backlist and sell to them, moving them through the entire series is a very effective practice. Uh, and I, I think I have lots of clients that do it. I do it as well. You just like to, like, I know that when I'm hooked on a series, I just want to keep reading it. And so for an author to pop in and say, Hey, this is the next book. I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. You know? And again, it's not like cover blurb link. It's it's like, I can't wait for you to meet. I'm going to use Brennan again. It's just a character that's in my head, you know, 
Brennan, he's an alpha male. He is an idiot most of the time, you know, single doctor. <laughs> um, you're going to love him. Here's why I love him. And it's so it's just a little, it's a soft sell based on the things that I know they're there for. And then the next book would be like, I I love friends to lovers. I don't, I don't write any friends to lovers, but let's pretend I did. You know, friends to lovers, you know, and they're like, I do too. But then the cool thing that you can start doing, and this is why you do it from the beginning, even if you're like, I don't have any books, I don't have anything. You start to track what people click on and what they're interested in. And then say a year down the line, when I wrote a friends to lovers, let's say I decided I do love friends to lovers. I've got like, 150 people that have said, I love friends, the lovers, you know, and they buy that book or they, if I'm giving them an option, like, do you like this or this? And a lot of people can use surveys and emails in the welcome sequence. If they don't have anything else to talk about, say, Hey, do you like this or this? And it's really great for future planning, you know, for what you are going to write when you're ready to write, like everybody said, they liked friends, the lovers. I'm like, I better write a friends, the lovers book. And then when I'm ready to write it, I've got like 150 people that I can pre-sell it to, or I can put on an art team, or I can do whatever. And people are more likely to click when they're in a welcome sequence, even though they have no idea they're in one, than on a regular newsletter. So um, it's a great place to convert to sales, to mine for data, to increase the health of your list, which means all your emails are going to get seen by more people. I love that. Do you have a recommendation for like how many days you should wait between those welcome emails? Tighter at the top, longer at the bottom. So um, immediately send your first email. Don't have it delayed. I I mean, it all comes down to an interesting psychology and marketing, you know, and where people are like, oh, I don't want to bug anybody, you know, and like don't delay, send your email right away. And then every two days, like first one should have two days between it, second one and third one two days, and then I'll go like five or seven, depending on what's happening. If I'm going through an entire series of books, I will sometimes go 14 days between books. It depends on the genre or subgenre I'm writing, how quick my readers are. Like I know romance, they read faster than say thrillers or nonfiction or whatever. Like, so it just depends on what you've got, what you know about your audience, but yeah, slow it down at the bottom and make it faster at the top. That makes sense. I like that. Okay. So what happens if you have multiple series and they're not necessarily connected, but they could be like, maybe there's a common connection with like urban fantasy or whatever, and you want them to go from one series to the next one. Is there a way to be able to move them, like transition them from one automation to another? Yeah. This was one of those questions I was trying to remember that you said. (laughs) This is next level. So turn your ears off if you're brand new. (laughs) Yeah. This might've been my question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like, it kind of goes back to my uh, thoughts on welcome sequences or automations or sequences or whatever you want to call them um, are just so much more effective because emails are delivered to inboxes based on the emails that came before them. And because if you send that first email and it gets a lot of clicks and opens, the next email is going to be delivered to an inbox because the one before it got a lot of clicks and opens and so on and so on. So the reason I say that is that if you want to keep people inside of these sequences and move them from one series to the next or one standalone to the next based on this thread that may come between them. So you have one series that follows one family and then there's a secondary character that is like 
a spinoff, or it's like, if you are fans of Zoe York, it's like series 2.0, or um, where there are, and maybe it's in the same small town, or there's something that connects them. And the reader has indicated that they're interested in that. And that could be anything to the point of they've, they've opened all of your emails, or perhaps they've really gotten micro, um, you've, you've like micro identified them, they've clicked on I love like urban fantasy where there's a strong romance theme, you know, or where it's, I love vampires, you know, or whatever. Like there's something about it that I really love. And they've clicked on something that you have strategically asked them to look at, you know, even though it feels like they're just giving their opinion. I like to add them to a little group, you know, and then make that group be the trigger for a brand new, you know, automation. Um, And I usually, for me personally, I only do that when they've given me a very clear indication they want that. And that very clear indication for me is a click. So I always integrate something like, tell me that you love enemies to lovers. That's the strongest theme I have in all of my books. So if they're like, no, I actually like friends to lovers. I'm like, they're, I do not have another automation for them. You know, and then they go on to just receive the regular newsletter. I will like pause there for a second and say, I do pause all regular content headed to these people so that they're not getting inundated with emails all the time, particularly if you're a consistent regular newsletter sender. So they're not in a sequence, they're just getting your weekly emails or or bi-weekly. If you're weekly and sending um, a decent amount of sequenced emails, there's a chance they'll get angry and not open anything. They probably won't unsubscribe, but they may not open because A, they're getting too many and they want to read it, but then things just move down and they forget, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So I like to exclude them from that. So I always like tag people on the way into a sequence that they're in it. And then um, I'll have this, the service provider untag them at the end, whenever they leave the sequence or if they move to a new one. But yeah, it's important that you don't overwhelm them because one of the biggest complaints I hear from just people in general is like, my inbox is full of junk, you know, or whatever. It's just so full and and um, you don't want to be that that person. But yeah, I think... Jumping them over into another sequence is where uh, email marketing is headed and where it needs to head in order to make it effective in, a, in an age where there is inbox exhaustion. You have to customize the experience for them uh, and they will respond to that. Again, it's like that, that teaching them that your name equals something they really want to read. And so if, you're, if they've gone through an entire um, sequence of a series and they've they've opened all of them or they've clicked on something, they're indicating that they're ready for more. What you got? What else you got? You know, and keeping them in a, in a sequence. Um, but I would put them in a brand new sequence so you can start tracking some new things. And I like to keep them separate. So like, I like the clean data, you know? And so it's like, how's this series performing inside of a sequence as opposed to this series? Um, this one is not doing so well. The clicks are less than over here. or the, And so I use clicks to, to gauge most of my success as opposed to opens then you can clearly see like where are the gaps and what's not working. But yeah, that was a long one to reply to. I absolutely condone that. I think it's a great way to continue serving people. Uh, and some people, when they don't have a uh, multiple series, and so you can turn your ears back on, you're like, you know, like <laughs> I have all those series, but I really like the sound of giving people exactly what they want. You can, you can do it on themes or things they like about your books and you can, if you have like, I have some one sequence where, 
you know, if they, if they like small town Ireland, I don't have anything else, but I have small town. Sorry. I don't have any other Ireland books, but I have a small town series in a, you know, a rugged landscape area. And if that's kind of thing, they indicated they really like the location. I'll bump them into maybe just one more book in its own sequence, you know, and it's, and then if they indicate, yeah, I do love Northern BC. I love the idea of that. You know, then you're like, all right, well, here's the other books in that, you know, until they kind of, I can just kind of test the correlation between something written for an audience that likes Irish romance and something that written for an audience that likes mountain villages in, in Northern BC. And do they, do they stack together? So you can use sequences. That's again, you can use themes or tropes or locations or settings as the link, as opposed to another series. And you can use it just for data gathering. It can be just one more email outside of that sequence where you're like, I'm thinking of setting my things on a beach and on a beach. And they're like, if you get a hard no, nobody clicks that, you know, I'm not interested. Then you're like, I should probably not do that. Right. Right. I've never thought of, of doing it more from like the, the trope perspective or like the theme perspective. And it's like, oh, that's such a good idea. Huh. That's really cool. That's something that like I could see actually doing. It works really well for people that have multiple pen names on one list too. Like, would they be interested in this other pen name? Even though it writes something different. Let's see what the data is showing me. Oh yeah. They're, I'm going to strategically insert a question somewhere in like email three and four. So they've come, they've stayed, they're interested in talking to you. They've proven that they want to be there. Um, I want to test and see if they're interested in this pen name. And then they're like, yeah, I love alien space fantasy, you know, and, and like, that's, you're writing contemporary romance. You're like, oh, okay. You know, and then you can, <laughs> but you're not catapulting them over there until they've proven they're interested. Otherwise you're just going to confuse them and they're going to be like, what, wait, how did I get here? You know, and it's right. Right. And then I'll usually have that first email saying at some point in time during the time with me, you have indicated that you love aliens just as much as I do, even though, you know, and then you could very tie, much tie it back as long as you're always storytelling and, and creating these threads uh, that connect one book to another. And that makes sense. Like I would say, people are always like, well, I don't know how to storytell. Like, well, I have a series called Holly versus the house. So I'm a single mom. I have this house. I'm always fixing things. Um, I have a bunch of single parents in a bunch of my books. It works for me. It's part of my story. Um, but if I'm telling a story about me fixing the toilet, then I'm going to be like, it reminds me of the time that, you know, Eleanor tried to fix her, whatever. And then that that's the segue I use. And it's the same as bouncing people between sequences. Is there a way to introduce this new sequence, reminding them of why they loved you in the first place? Gotcha. I love that. That is really a clever way to do that. Ah, oh, it's giving me like so many ideas. I, <laughs> I can't wait to like write down when we get off the column and I have to like start mapping out my new, uh, sequences yeah, and strategies and that's for everything. like doing the visual map out if you work well that way it like i have those giant post-it notes like that are the size of these posters wow. uh, because sometimes the the i want to take them over here and then i want to take them over here and as your business grows and you have more backlist to play with studies show that only between 18 and 20 percent of your email list have ever read everything that you have so there's opportunity to kind of entice them over to other books or other series or other interests that you have and to test that out. So I have lots of spider webs, I call them like moving people in different directions. Uh, the bigger the paper, the easier it is to map that out. 
Neat. Do you ever start uh, an eat automation sequence then in the middle? Like let's say you've got, you know, 8,000 people, whatever on your list and you haven't done an automation for a while. Do you ever just go surprise guys, here's a new automation that I'm going to shove you into. Yeah. In a couple instances, I'll do that. So one will be for those that aren't really doing much on my list. Uh, and I'll pop them into like a re-engagement automation. So I do two emails uh, and, and i don't make it about selling books. They make it about something that's fun and interesting. So again, in the contemporary romance space, once I used, um, I was writing a book with a character who had a man bun or had long hair. And I, my background is in um, music business, a degree in music business. And I'm in, the, I was in the music world for a long time. And I really had a thing for guys with long hair and <laughs> a guitar. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to write a book about that. And what I found was people did not want to read a book about guys with long hair for me anyway like in my space it didn't fit and so I used that knowledge as part of my my because it was very they were fairly violently opposed to it it was like (laughs) I I was like I used some Instagram story polling and some (laughs) not polling and like oh my gosh no please don't no no we don't want that and I'm like wow okay so never mind he's gonna have to get a haircut because I'd already written half the book and I really like it so and my re-engagement sequence, it was, all it was, was first email was, the, again, thinking these are people that have not opened or not clicked anything in a long time. I mean, do you think man buns are sexy? Yes or no? And it was like a hard no on again and everything. I'm like, and that was all that email was. <laughs> but it got them clicked. They're like, no. And if you can kind of give them some sort of polarizing question that is very entertainment-based and, again, that has loose ties back to something that you're up to, right? You know, I'm like... Well then, and then the next email was based on, it went two directions. Did they say yes? They go over here. Did they say no? They go over here. I'm like, no. I was like, you're not, I think my ne- my next hero Rex is going to need a haircut or over here. I'm like, you're going to love the first half of the next book, you know, whatever, but you're going to hate the second half because I think, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and that was it. And, but it really gets them like, they're like, oh, they haven't, I haven't sold anything to them. I've dropped a little teaser that there's another book coming. And they clicked on something and had fun at the same time. So yes, I'll do that. And then the other thing is sometimes I'll pull people into their own little sequence when it's um, actually not sometimes, always when it's release month. And so I have a very standardized thing that I've built is like 12 emails for a release month. And it's not everybody isn't getting everything, but um, they're getting pulled in so that my release emails kind of follow a framework. They're not the same on the inside, but the framework for me is the same. So it's like at week eight, this is happening at week seven, this is happening, you know, like the same kind of vibes are happening, cover reveal, da, 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 da. you know, I'm going through the, the same thing. And then obviously switching up the content. So but, smart. So I don't have to like always be writing it or always be watching it. I put it in an automated sequence so that it just tickles along on its own. And in ConvertKit, you have something called rules. So like if they are in this segment, shuttle, they give them these emails, if they're in this segment, give them these emails. So it just just starts to decide who's getting what. So there are 12 emails, but not everybody's getting all of them until the the release day. Then everybody's getting like the same one. And then it goes on beyond release day. So it's like the fall, like the week after, and then two weeks later, and then they're out of that. So nobody's getting any regular emails, but I don't have to rewrite a release series every time I have a release because that is annoying, especially if you're like, I am not a fast releaser, but if you are a rapid releaser, you can build these that are like really helpful to kind of cycling people 
through and you don't have to keep thinking about, well, what am I going to write about this release? You know, it's like, here's the themes that are the same. And here's kind of the stages of a release that happens. So I do put them into that one too. That is so smart. I I have like, I I typically will have a a couple of emails leading up to a release and then a couple of emails after release, but I've never thought to go that big to go back eight weeks and start like revealing things again. Like, you know, it's like, my brain is like, they've already seen the cover. I released the cover a while ago, you know, kind of, I never thought to like re-release it and be like, Hey, remember that this book's coming out. Here's the cover. What do you think of it? Or like, just play around with those ideas. That's so smart. Well, yeah. And you start to pick out emails that you send that feel kind of templatable and release ones are the same. Because if you've released, if you've been around a while and you've released um, any number of books, you're kind of saying the same thing every time it's release month. But this way you're like, oh yeah, this email is going to talk about pre-orders. This email is going to talk about the move from wide to KU, depending if that's your strategy. This email is going to, and so I'm like, okay. So like, I know what I'm talking about. Now all I have to do is really duplicate that sequence from last time and go in and make it custom. So it looks like this is the book I'm releasing and you walk away. That is so cool. Okay. So tell me a little bit about segmentation. I like, I know different email service providers do it a little bit differently. Do you have like, if authors want to learn how to segment their lists, what kind of recommendations do you have? So you think of segments as folders and inside of the folders, like, so say they're like personnel folders for your readers. And inside of the folders are things that they like, like, who are they? What are they? What are they doing? As opposed to like, what's the segment? What's the group? And so, because some people use them, some service providers don't, some people call them something different. So segments are just kind of keeping track of these personality traits of your readers. And so they're like, say, show me all the people on my list who have been here for six months um, belong to, again, I'll refer back to the romance because that's what I write, are are in the enemies to lovers group and have clicked on, I don't know, more than 10 of my last emails or something like that. So those there are layers of things I want to know about somebody. And then if I have an enemies to lovers release about to come, then those guys are going to be the first segment to get the pre-order offer, right? Because They've been here for a while. They've clicked on lots of things and they love enemies to lovers. And then my subject line is going to be, so you love enemies to lovers as much as I do. You got to meet this guy, you know? And it's like, cool. that's how you use segmentation to create customized subject lines and emails that speak to people that you know are going to convert. And then when you lead with the, that segment of people, and then you can email everybody else after there's a, a better chance of all the other emails to everybody else getting opened and landing in inboxes because you've sent an email that is highly deliverable, highly clickable, and highly openable because you've built a segment that you know are the people that are going to open this email. It just gives a, it's like, say, Google is like, oh, wow, look at that email. Like, remember how I was saying that the email ahead of it determines what happens to the email behind it? That's why you want to lead with those segments. You can do some simple segments like everybody that's opened and everybody that hasn't opened. Those are the starting points for everybody in segmentation. If you just want to get used to like what it feels like. The cool thing about segments are they are alive. So your email service provider will be making sure that everybody in that segment fits in the segment with the parameters that you gave it. With groups or tags, they can't be, you can't change those after the fact. The service provider doesn't do anything with them. They may no longer be interested in enemies to lovers, but it doesn't matter. Um, it won't take them out. You know, even if they, 
you have to tell it like, if they click, I hate enemies to lovers now, you know, then take them out of this group. You have to give it the directives where segments are like, oh, wait, this person's been here longer than six months and stop clicking. They're out. You know, it's like, um, it's just doing that work for you. That is so smart. You just have to use segments in a strategic way. So what do I want? What groups of people do I want to know live inside my list? You know, do I, you can conversely segment everybody out that doesn't do anything, put them in their own segment and then stop emailing them, except for some very specific strategic emails. You can work it however you want. That is really clever. I like, I like that. It's almost like keeping that email list healthy too, in a sense where it's like your email, you're sending different types of emails to the people who really enjoy them. So then your open rates go up, your clicks hypothetically go up, you know, and you're, you're able to keep everyone engaged versus having so many dropped off. So can you actually explain a little bit how authors can keep their list healthy? Like, is that the way they do it or do, should they be calling their email list? So segmentation is your first step to deciding what you want to do next. (laughs) The algorithms, so like the Google's, Outlook's, Hotmail's, um, all of them at the other end are deciding where to send your email based on what's happened to your email to the other users. So everybody that uses Gmail is part of the measurement process, you know, on your list. If Google is seeing that you're sending all these emails to these Gmail users and nobody's opening and clicking, even if somebody's is brand new to your list and but is using a Gmail address and really wants to open your emails, there's a good chance they won't see it because it's based on the averages for that for that category so that Gmail user. So having a healthy list is super important because it can circumnavigate those assumptions that Gmail is using. If on the other end, if your list is healthy and they're like, well, we'll give these guys another chance because in the past they've got a lot of opens, a lot of clicks. They're what's called authenticated. We don't have time to go into that. Um, lots of different things. <laughs> but the easiest way that you can get there is to start to sort your list. And what you'll see pretty quickly by sorting, I mean segmenting, is I, that's why I like the show me people who have opened, show me people who haven't. Those people that haven't have a 0% open rate and a 0% click rate because your deliverability is based on the average open rate and the average click rate and the average unsubscribe rate, et cetera, et cetera. When you have zeros going into those averages is really bringing your overall average score down and everybody has a sending score. It's a mystery. Do not ask me how to find out what it is, but you'll be, you'll get a feel for what it is based on the open and click rates that you're getting. You'll get a feel for whether it's working or not, I should say. So when you take those people out that you've said, show me everybody that's done nothing over the last six months, and then you say, I'm going to send emails only to the people that have done something, suddenly like your open and click rates on average are higher. So what do you do with those people that are not doing anything? There are uh, two very strong minds, you know, in, in the space. I'm of the get rid of the mind. And then there are people that I don't want to get rid of anybody mind. And I mean, I understand I understand that, but at the same time, I don't like paying for people that are doing nothing. And I know that there are a small percentage of those people that may be opening. They're definitely not clicking because clicks are measured. If they're not clicking, they're not buying. If they're hanging out here just to read my emails, that's lovely. But I would really like to sell books. So maybe if they're opening, I could put them in their own little segment, but they're not clicking. And then, but I'm going to send to them separately. Again, just trying to protect the average that I have. So yes, I'm a fan of list calling. I'm not a practicer of call, immediate calls, but I have a lot of 
incredible authors with names you'd recognize immediately that call in the welcome sequence. You're in or you're out, you know, kind of thing. They want a healthy list. They want a list that earns the money and they want people there that are the right people. And when you're doing a lot of cold promos, like so large author group promos, book funnels, round robins, those kinds of things, you're going to get a lot of people on your list and the number will feel very exciting to you, but it will also be very top heavy of people that just came for the free stuff. So you have to decide, you know, are you there for the metric of the big list number or are you there for the people that are on your list that are, that are buying? And for me, it hurts to say goodbye to, I've said goodbye to thousands of people at some points in time. I had a client once whose name everybody would know. And she came to me with a list of 85,000 people and we cut 30,000 in one day, you know? So they had just been there for 10 years and done absolutely nothing. We're not opening. And then she's like, that felt scary, but then really good, you know? And the cost of her list went from sky high to something else. But there comes a point in time where the size of your list, if it's not performing, doesn't mean anything. Right. So I have a question that I was just writing it down. So I didn't forget because I'm like listening and I'm trying to make sure I'm not losing my train of thought. Do you recommend then like when you're trying to list build doing the group promos or should you just start trying to organically or even with ads, send people directly to your list specifically? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that group promos are great for list building and testing and understanding how what emails work and what don't. I think they have a, a, a an awesome place in a new author's list building life. But there comes a point in time where they're not helpful anymore. So yeah, I definitely think that. I'm a huge fan of advertising to your lead magnet. Not everybody is. It's still a cold audience. It still has to be tested. But out of the cold audiences that I spend money on, they perform pretty well. So yeah, I mean, I think they're great. I think they're great for new authors that are just trying to build a list and learn what what works and what doesn't. But using them after a while, I have a lot of clients that report back, man, this feels stale, feels like the same people. There's a lot of people unsubscribing, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's great. You know, they realize that you're not the right fit for them. Let them go. But yeah, there's, I think they're great for, for new authors. And then you have to decide for yourself when it's time to like, do less of that and more bonus content or back back matter content that really connects you to your to your reader. That is really clever. It's definitely something that like when you look at some of the bigger name authors, there's a certain point where they stop doing, you know, news, newsletter swaps with others in their industry or stop doing those promos and it's interesting to see them start to to it's like what is the differentiator for them? And so that makes a lot of sense in my brain as to when when that's a good time to stop doing that, just focus solely on your own platform and your own audience and how you're bringing them in and having it be a much more intention. It feels almost more intentional that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you should become much more selective as to the author partners that you work with as your business grows. And it's the same progression that any, any business, first of all, just thinking about it as a business, you know, I would say like, well, have you ever got an email say from the gap that's advertising something other than the brands that they own, you know, no, or Apple or any of those big brands, they don't say, oh yeah, hey, at Microsoft, they're giving this away this week, you know, right? Um, same mentality, but at the same time, like say Apple has a partnership with Beats, you know, so 
there's a partnership there because they saw a match between the audiences. So you become more selective in the other in the authors that you work with. And it's a really cool thing that can happen at at conferences, especially where you're like, you meet people face to face, you're like, we are the same person, we have the same audience. Uh, <laughs> let's do something together. And and then you create these things that um are really organically, they just fit. And those are the the newsletter partnership pieces that I love. And those become more interesting to you as your business grows because you can see that there's a correlation between what you have and what they have and how, but ultimately how your readers will benefit from knowing them and how that builds trust. You're not building a lot of trust when you are sending them off to the the gigantic book funnel page that has, you know, 350 other authors and they're just choosing by cover. And you really don't know any of them. You don't know the content quality or or whatever. Yeah. So I just kind of think if you think like a business and you think about some really cool classic business partnerships, what could that look like for you as an author? And why don't authors who are household names do the same thing? Because they're protective of the space that they own. And if you're in business, you're usually not in business for somebody else. You're in business for yourself. Love that. That's such a great place to to end this conversation because it was just like it was so powerful. I hope people will go back and re-listen to that piece because yeah, we are in business for yourself, guys. That's kind of what this whole indie process is all about. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> well, Holly, thank you so much for coming onto this show. If my audience is looking for you, which I know that they will be, where can we send them or funnel them to so that they can learn more about you and all the services that you provide? And obviously your books as well. Thanks. Yeah. So you can find me at hollydarlinghq.com. And if you want, I have a deliverability checklist that is customized for the author revolution um, peeps on your podcast. If you do forward slash author revolution, um, you'll find it. If you can't just email me and I will, I will funnel you in that direction. But yeah, that's where I am. I have a Facebook space called Holly Darling HQ, where we... Um, we do lots of, um, I have kind of things each day. Today, we're talking about what's the one piece of advice you would give a new author on your email list. I throw out three subject lines a week for you to use. We do lots of fun things in there. You're welcome to join that. I am Holly Mortimer. If you want to check me out, I'm kind of, I'm hybrid. So kind of wide, kind of a KU, depends on what you're looking at. But yeah, I've had such a great time. I love talking about emails. <laughs> right? I love listening about emails. It's so fantastic. Well, Holly, I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Carissa. Well, what did you think? Isn't Holly great? Oh my gosh. I loved like talking with her and understanding how I can be better at email marketing. Now, I've been, like I said, playing around with email marketing for a number of years now. and you know, I've gotten better at what to say to to my readers. I've gotten better at like understanding what it is that engages them the most and what they like to talk about or like me to talk about, which interestingly enough, it has sometimes nothing to do with my books. They like to see what my husband is doing in the house because we have this like Andrew's renovation escapade going on. It's been going on for years. <laughs> and they know that we've been working on, you know, what I like to call the Winchester Mansion. It just keeps going. Like this this renovation of this house just constantly is evolving. So I include pictures and what he's been working on this week. And in addition to what I've been working on or things that have come up or whatever. And so I've been working through newsletters for a long time, but I still need to get better at those automations. 
And so it's important to note that, it, you know, we're not all immune to this just because we have a thriving business, just because we have a lot of people who are purchasing books. There's always things that we can do to be better. There's always things that we can add or that we can, you know, tweak just a little bit to be more effective authors, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, so that we can actually earn more money, have a better and more healthy brand, all of the things, right? And this is definitely, definitely one of the ways that you can go about doing it. So if you do not have an email list yet, or if you haven't quite figured out your flow for your email list, reach out to Holly because I'm telling you, she is incredible. I'll make sure that all of the the links that she talked about, including, you know, how to get to Holly Darling HQ and how to get to her special thank you gift for you as a listener. I'll make sure they're in our show notes for today. So head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 206 and you can click over and check everything out from there. I'll also make sure that there are links to Holly's pen name, Holly Mortimer, that'll be on there as well. So just think about things though, guys. I hope you will consider what Holly said, what we talked about, and start implementing things, even if it's just that first email for that first sequence like she was talking about. Now for me, (laughs) I have this tendency to want to get very strategic and see the whole grand plan. And then I start to go, holy cow, that's an awful lot of work. And I don't know how much time I've got. And if I can do this, all the things start spiraling, right? But I can do one email. I can do one email, that initial email for every single one of my series starts. Like I can do that. That's not a problem. And if I start there and trust that I can build out the rest of the emails, well, it's going to get an awful lot easier, right? So don't worry about how much this might be or how you can interconnect things. Don't let the overwhelmment of all the the grand plans get to you. Just take it one step at a time. Start with that one email, that one welcome sequence, and let it kind of take its own energy from that point, okay? That's what I'm doing for myself. I put my priority in three things, right? I'm going to do the first email for my Accidental Alpha series for people who land in there. I'm going to do my first email for Secret Legacy because I happen to have a couple of promo emails that are going out and promotions that are happening. So I may as well take advantage of those, right? And then, of course, the email sequences for Carissa Knight and for Dirty Plans as it goes out. So that's already ongoing. So I need, I need to get moving on this. Those are my big email marketing plans, at least for the next week or two. Now, whether or not I expand on that, whether or not I kind of leave it until I have finished NaNoWriMo, I'm not quite sure yet. I just know that I'm very excited to get into it and dig into it and start playing around with some of the concepts. I've even used Holly's guidance for creating segmentation in both of my email lists so that I can stop sending emails to those who are not as engaged or haven't been that engaged for like the past 90 days, for instance. And I've also created a separate email list for those who are superstars, who have opened my emails and clicked a certain percentage of time. And if they do that, I'm going to every once in a while, send them something really special, but only them. So these are things that I'm in the process of working on, things that I am playing around with. And I don't know, it's just, this is, again, part of the fun part of being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, doing things your own way and having fun, you know, bringing your stories to life for those readers who really love to connect to them. All right. So if you like this podcast episode, I would love it if you would head over to, you know, your podcast platform of choice 
leave me a rating. I forget to ask you guys this all the time, (laughs) but sometimes it's really nice for other listeners to know whether or not this podcast is worth their time. So if you can leave a review, if you can't leave a review, just leave a star rating for wherever you're at. And it's going to help others to find this podcast, this podcast episode, all the things, right? And hopefully they get some wonderful things out of this podcast as well. All right. Download the transcript if you need it. It's over at authorrevolution.org forward slash 206 along with those links. And in the meantime, enjoy your last week of Preptober. Where This is it, guys. By the time we hear the next podcast episode, it's going to be nano. So buckle up and get ready. It's almost here. I myself, I'm almost done. I'm literally on the epilogue. I swear to God, guys, I'm on the epilogue, the last like 2000 words of dirty plans. So it's going to be done by the time you hear this. And I'm going to be on to dirty books, which is book two for NaNoWriMo. So holy cow, I'm really excited. All right. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your writing. Go forth and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people, Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks, like writing. (laughs) Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.